Today's gospel reading, which is also our sermon text, is John 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the word who existed before eternity, who created all things, and without, without you, nothing that is created was created. Lord, open our eyes to see the glory of who you are and the humility that you took on to break into our world. Thank you. Open our eyes and shape our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the second sermon on the Gospel of John. Uh, if uh, You might begin to, to see that we're taking a little more time in this book than we have with other books in the past. Uh, back when we did Genesis, uh, if you remember when we did Genesis, I think we did like a sermon. You were here for that. Yeah, we, we did, I think, a, a, a chapter a week. And... Um, with uh, Hebrews, we kind of, you know, broke some of them up. And Ecclesiastes, I think we did one chapter a week. But with John, there's so much here that it's hard to just skim over these chapters. So I hope this is good for us as a church. I hope it's good for you. It's certainly going to be a joy to preach through it. Um, I wish we would have started earlier because we have a, a John scholar here uh, <laughs> who's about to leave us. But it's been really a joy having Chris um, involved in these in these conversations, I, I yeah, I wish we didn't we'd started this a year earlier. Um, but to help you along with your study, though, as you go through, if you notice this week we have uh, there are some questions uh, about the sermon. So there there are questions that you can use for your personal study, for your uh, your prayer group, or whatever you might want to use it for. Um, and I also have some for the kids in there. There's there's five questions for kids. So uh, kids, this will encourage you to listen well to the sermon, okay? And, and, and try to answer these questions as you're listening to the sermon. And parents, feel free to help out your, your kiddos as they're, uh, as they're going through this. I, 
Uh, and, and your feedback is appreciated as we go through this. And, and if, these, if these questions are helpful for you, I'm sure we're going to have to tweak them as, as time goes on. But um, just wanting to have ways for, for you to be able to engage more uh, individually and as a family with this, with this great text. So as we discussed last week, John is giving us a unique view of Jesus. When you look at the three other Gospels, what are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of have a, a, a similar pattern as you see the, how they follow Jesus' life. But with John, he's giving more of a unique picture. He's painting this unique picture of Jesus. And as we saw last week, and as you see in the title of the sermon series, it is for the purpose that you may believe, that, in, that we all may believe. He says it in chapter 20, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's more to the believing than just believing. There's having life, eternal life in his name. Now, last week, we went through the first five verses, and we saw kind of an exalted picture of Jesus. We saw this, this uh, image of Jesus as the eternal word, as the eternal word that was with God, that created all things, and he was the source of creation. He's the source of life, so he's the source of our, our salvation, and he's the source of light. He's the source of our revelation. And John introduces Jesus as, as who he is in this eternal glory. But this week, in chapter 6, there, we kind of shift directions. And this week, literally, John is kind of bringing things down to earth. So we see after um, uh, that, that he now shifts and literally comes down to earth to talk about the first witness to tell about Jesus the contemporary witness to come to, to Jesus or to talk to tell the world about Jesus. Um, now, the first 18 verses is we call the prologue. This introduces the book. And we saw how this prologue, these 18 verses kind of are, are the overture and kind of serve to, to introduce themes in the book, themes that you're going to see throughout. And so last week we saw some of the themes of Jesus' divinity, his, crea uh, his, his work in creation, his source, uh, he being the source of life and the source of light. Now, this week we're going to see a few other themes. And the themes of, these are things that you're going to see repeated throughout the book that John is going to use to help us to get to know Jesus more in a greater way. And these themes are the witness of Christ, the world of Christ, and the welcome of Christ. Now, you may be thinking, how did he get welcome in there? But it does fit. <laughs> so you'll see how that, how that word welcome is, is, is part of this passage here. So I don't feel it's too forced. But we have witness, world, and welcome that we have in these verses. So let's take a look at this. Now, as you know, witness testimony is crucial source of evidence in court trials, right? Witness testimonies are, are essential in, in having, especially credible witnesses, are essential in having a good, successful trial. I recently read an article that said the majority of cold cases, those cases that have just fallen off the map and haven't been solved, but, but have been kind of brought back to try to solve them, these year, year old, years old cases, the ones that have been solved, the majority of those that have been solved have been solved not based on DNA evidence, that's, that's some of it, but most of it has been solved because of new witnesses coming forward, because of new witness testimony that was found to be credible and it was able to close the case. 
Witness testimony is also a part of knowing historical figures. We rely on historians and on eyewitness accounts of getting to know historical figures. Think about everybody in history that for the past hundred years or so, we have to rely on historical evidence based on eyewitness testimony, don't we? One thing that, I found this on YouTube, this is wild. I saw, and maybe you've seen this before, but there is actually a clip of a guy who witnessed the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And it was, it was filmed back in the 50s on, I think it was to tell the truth, I forget. The guy's in, the, in his 90s, so do the math, and it's like, okay, he was alive then. He, he was four years old, and he was at Ford's Theater. So he witnessed, and he remembered seeing, he didn't remember much, but he, he remembered seeing John Wilkes Booth jump off of the, uh, out of the balcony and land on the stage, and uh, it was just fascinating. So you just don't ever think you're going to hear somebody talk about, you know, something that old. But the thing is, the eyewitness testimony is credible, and it's important, and it's useful for us getting to know historical figures. And there is plenty of that, as you'll see, with getting to know Christ. And God sends witnesses to witness about himself, to witness about Christ throughout history. And we see this here. We see John being introduced here in verse 6. Now, witness, we talked about the theme being uh, something you'll see repeated. In this first chapter, you'll see witness probably five or six times, maybe even more. In this passage here, you're going to see it repeated three times, the word witness. So let's look at verse 6 here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness, that's two, about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So we see that John was a very important figure because number one, he was sent from God. He was directly sent from God. To say that John was sent from God, that word for sent is the word apostolos. So it, it's, it's, it's the word that we get apostle. Someone who was sent from God to be a messenger for the sake of letting the world know about Christ. John was created and sent for a purpose to be that voice crying in the wilderness as uh, coming from Isaiah 40. When he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And you hear a lot from John in this passage. You hear a lot about this witness. Some commentators I read talk about him being the first apostle, the, the first apostle at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, or the model apostle or disciple at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, setting the pattern for the other followers of Christ. And he came to do what? He came to bear witness to give his testimony of Jesus, to bear witness of the light, this light that shines in the darkness of the world. And it's, and it's you know, we, we think of John as a prophet, and at the same time, he's declaring what has already come. He's declaring the one who is a contemporary of his. He's announcing it in real time. And he's doing this, as the passage says, to stay with this theme that all may believe. Compare that with 2031, that John the Apostle, the writer of this gospel, says that these things are written so that you may believe, that his testimony would be received and that it would close the case. 
and that we would become believers. John's use of the word believe is interesting. I was uh, talking with Chris about this. Chris brought this up to me, and I actually uh, saw it in one of the commentaries we were talking about. John's use of the word believe is unlike the other Gospels in this way. He never uses the word for believe as a noun. He never uses it as faith or belief. He always uses it in the sense of a verb. He's always presenting people with a message, and faith in this context is, is in motion. It's in flux. It's, it's seeing people grow in faith. It's, it's getting people to believe, hoping people will believe, seeing people in their unbelief, but, but grow, uh, with, with, the, with the hope that they will receive the message of Christ and believe upon him. It's always used as a verb, at least in the gospel here. The other thing that's interesting is how John introduces John the Baptist. If you look at how he introduces John the Baptist as compared to how Matthew, Mark, and Luke introduce him, there's some, there's some differences here. Notice how John the Baptist says this, or how it says this about John the Baptist. He was not the light. Now, you and I know that, right? Why does it have to say he was not the light? Why is this statement in the introduction? Do you notice, if you, if you are familiar with this passage and with, with John's role in, in the Gospel of John, you'll see how many times he says, I am not the Christ. I am not he. They ask him, are you this? Are you that? He says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. There is this, this negative uh, um, aspect of John's identity that has to be inserted here. It's believed, the, the reason for this is, is it's believed that the Apostle John presents John the Baptist in a way because there was some confusion about who John was. Now, John was a, a contemporary. He was, a, he was right along with Christ. And there were some communities that perhaps were elevating John the Baptist to the same status as Christ. Or perhaps bringing Christ down to the status of John the Baptist. There was a sense where there was some confusion as to who the Savior was, perhaps, or the power of each one. And so the Apostle John, when he, in his writing, perhaps, had to make it clear who John was. He's not, he, he's not degrading John, but he is being very clear about who he was. He was not the light. Jesus was the light, the true light. So that's the first witness we see in this gospel. The main witness, the one to get things started. But the more witnesses you have, as you know, the more witnesses we have, the more successful our case will be if we have more credible witnesses to, to corroborate our case. And that's why the theme of witness continues through the book of John. You'll see that Jesus himself will say that the Father is a witness of him. In chapters 5 and chapters 8, Jesus is his own witness. Jesus says not only will speak about himself, but he says the works I do are testimony, are witness of who I am. So Jesus himself serves as a witness. Then he says, Moses, the Old Testament, scriptures, you search the scriptures. He says the scriptures speak about me. The scriptures are a witness, are a testimony of who I am. He says that in chapter 5, verse 39 and 46. 
He speaks of the Holy Spirit extensively in the book of John, verses, uh, chapters 14 through 16, a lot being said about the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 15, he says this, but when the helper, the Holy Spirit, he calls the, the Holy Spirit the helper, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then he adds a few more. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You are going to carry one of the greatest eyewitness testimonies of who I am. So the Spirit will do it, but the Spirit will work through you, and you will go into the world, and you will be a witness of who I am. So John the Apostle and John the Baptist served as witnesses that shine the light. John himself says in chapter 19, he who saw it, he who, so he's speaking about himself, and he says, he who saw it, speaking of the crucifixion, he who saw the crucifixion has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. You see those themes repeating on and on because John is expressing and talking about the importance of witnesses, of eyewitnesses, of those who have experienced Christ, and the importance of witnesses going into the world. And we're going to see that here, of where the witnesses go. Now, one thing, as he says, that John was not the light. Verse 9, he, said, he calls Jesus the true light. Now, this true light is used elsewhere uh, when he's talking about bread, when I'll talk about that in a second. But the true light, this is like saying he is the genuine light. He is the, is, 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 as I hear, might be said, the OG. He's the original light. He is the source of light. And there is no other so when we're talking about witnesses being a light, which he does, he talks about John carrying a lamp but Christ, in chapter 5, but Christ himself is the light, is the source of light, and there is no other. He says this about bread when he calls himself the bread of life. In chapter 6, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says this, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. See, because they wanted to lift up Moses too, and they wanted to hold Moses at this, at this level of Christ of the Messiah, of a deliverer, which he was a deliverer, but he was not the Christ. They said, Moses gave you the bread from heaven. Well, actually, he didn't give it to you. It was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. My father, he says, gives you the true bread from heaven. See, that, that word true is used likewise for light and for the bread. Christ is calling himself the true, the authentic, the genuine, the original, the only. And verse 9, verse nine, uh, nine continues, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Let me say this about everyone. The light, uh, people would understand that is the sun gives light to everyone. Um, we talk about the witness of the Father the, uh, um, and, and how he sends the rain on the good and the evil. The blessings of the Father are to all men. The blessings of Christ, the light of Christ, pierce through the darkness and is shining on all. There's also a sense when, when the Bible talks about, in the Gospels especially in a Jewish context, talking about all men and everyone in the world, talking about, it's talking about not just you Jews, not just Israel. He's here for the nations. He's here for all. So it's not always meaning every single person. 
in that sense. But in a sense that we would say all St. Louis gathered together to come see the, the Blues parade when they won the Stanley Cup. Not one of us would think that every single person in St. Louis was at that parade. But we understand when we say all St. Louis, a lot of people from St. Louis, everybody representing St. Louis came out and celebrated. And so sometimes when we see these words, all and everyone and the whole world, it's referring to the, the, the greater, the larger group of who we are as a world. So I think what's important about the verse is that it shows that this light, this eternal word, the creator, the source of life and light, came in to the world. Now, world is another word you're going to see a lot in the, in the book of John. And he refers to this word a lot. In fact, this word is used way more, uh, I, I think probably 78 times in the book of John as opposed to like 11 times in the other Gospels. So John is using this word extensively. And one commentator says the definition of the world is, it has different uses at different times, but primarily the use that John is for the world is using here is John's use of the world denotes the divinely created world which has rejected God, but which is at the same time not beyond salvation. So it's a world of people who rejected God us, but yet not without hope. It's a world of darkness, but not without hope that light will come. He came to us while we were still sinners. He came into the world. The true light which gives light to everyone, therefore, was coming into the world, breaking into the world he created he was coming into the very world, it says, that rejected him. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now there you see his own, his own, Israel. He came to his own people. He came to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. But he broke through as the light and as the source of all life, and he broke through to come into our world. Why, is this world. why is this word used so frequently in John, you think? How does this have to do with what John's message is? That's so you may believe. Well, think about it. This is constantly the, the struggle that's happening between Christ, the message of Christ, the disciples of Christ, and those who rejected him, known as the world. And it's a constant struggle, and you see the fact that those who are following Christ are struggling against the world. It's an ongoing battle. The disciples of Christ, it's an ongoing battle. But the reality is that it is a place in which we reject Christ. Makes me think of uh, The Matrix. Took me a while to see that movie, but I finally did. Morpheus calls Neo in in the very first movie, and you see him sitting across the room, sitting across a chair, um, talking to Neo. 
He's trying to explain to him. He's, he's given him the choice of the red pill and the blue pill. Spoiler alert, he takes the red pill. Um, but what he's trying to get him to do is understand the world he actually lives in. And Morpheus says this, the matrix is everywhere. It's all around us, even now in this very room. You can see it when you look at your window, out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Neo says, what truth? And Morpheus says that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, into a prison that you cannot taste or see or touch, a prison for your mind. That's a great analogy to the darkness of our world without Christ. Paul says that we know we are from God. I'm sorry, John says later in, his, in his, uh, one of his letters, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for we are not ignorant of his schemes, of, the, of Satan's schemes. In Christ, we know that Satan is pulling the veil over the eyes of the world, that they would reject Christ. Yes, the world has rejected Christ and his people, but God sent his witnesses into the world that we might hear, that they might hear of Christ. The true light would break through the darkness it would break through the world that has been pulled over our eyes. See, one application I see here is that we are witnesses. If you're in Christ, you are a witness of Christ. I am a witness for the gospel of Christ. And we are not called to pull ourselves out of the world, but to be in the world, to be breaking into the world with the message of Christ because the light of Christ is what we are representing. We are not the light. We are not the Christ but we're representing the true light, the true light that is able to break through the world that is pulled over the eyes of everyone who is not in him. It's our calling as disciples of Christ to take the message of Christ into the world, into this community, and to love them and to show them the love and the light of Christ. That is what we're called to do. That, the, the, the whole idea of witness continues today. It didn't stop with the disciples. The call to be witnesses continues, and it's our call to continue as, wit as witnesses for Christ, that we would see the truth, that the world would see the truth, and welcome Jesus and his message with open arms. Which brings us to our third point, the welcome of Christ. Some would say this is possibly the central focus, this verse 12 is a central focus of the prologue. That what he's saying here is all of this is coming, that he came into the world, and to all who did receive him, there were some who didn't, but to all who did, to all who welcomed him would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's huge. That's a huge statement for somebody who's thinking that they were only a part of uh, the community of God because of their birthright, because they were Jewish, because they obeyed the law. And here John's saying, you gave everybody the right to do that? Anybody who came to you, anybody who welcomed you, you gave them the right to become children of God? 
Then he goes into this, he says, who were born, verse 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Let's take a quick look at this. So to say that they were, that they were rejecting, the ones who rejected him, one of the translations of that, one of the, 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 the understandings of that word is to not provide a true welcome. So I thought I could use that in this, in this point. Not provide a true welcome for the light, for Christ. And so that those who did receive Christ were welcoming him, were welcoming the message, were welcoming the light. And all who would, I'm sorry, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? You hear that a lot. If you're new to scripture, if you're new, if you're new uh, as a Christian or, or don't really know the Bible very well at all because you just never really got into it, I don't know. But if, that, if you're wondering, what does it mean to believe in his name? It's, it's to believe in who Jesus is. You know, the name Jesus was not random. God gave the name Jesus because it meant deliverer, because it meant savior. God saves. And to believe in the function, to believe in who he was, to believe in his name as a savior, as the one, the only one who could save us from our sins, the only one who can save us from the darkness, the only one who could pierce through the darkness and overpower the darkness. And to believe that you are in darkness without him. that he said he will give us the right, the privilege, the authority to become children of God. So believing in Jesus' name is to receive his promise and his power to give us new life, to cleanse you from your sins and to count you as one of God's children. It says he gave the right to become children of God. Gave. This is, this is gift language. This word gave, this is, this is how we talk about giving gifts. This Greek word is, is pointing to a gift. He gave this as a gift. And this right is exactly that, the authority, the privilege. Think about people who are born into particular privileges throughout the world. They didn't ask for it. They were just born that way. Think of people who were born without privilege, who were born in suffering or poverty and can't get out. They didn't choose that either. But to those who receive Christ, to those who welcome Christ, they have the same privilege. Jesus welcomes them and gives them the same privilege, that same authority to become children of God, the same promise, the same inheritance becomes theirs, no matter if you're rich or poor, white or black. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what nation. It doesn't matter your genealogy. Which is why he says, gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men. What does that mean? Well, not of blood means pedigree. It means your genealogy. You know, we, we put a lot of a lot of uh, weight in our genealogies, don't we? And all of us, I'm, a ton of us, I'm sure, have done the genealogical work, you know, with the 23andMe and the other, uh, those other services. And 
admit it, you're wanting to know who you're connected to, right? You're wanting to know who you're connected to and you're hoping it's somebody famous or somebody big and you hope it's not somebody who is like, you know, Hitler or something like that. But you want to have that bloodline. You, it gives you a little sense of pride, right? But Jesus is saying this isn't, that has nothing to do with the gospel because it has nothing to do with your bloodline because it doesn't matter. What matters is that the light, that the, the source of life is giving you the privilege and the authority to be his child, to be his. Not because of you, but because of what he has done. Not the will of the flesh. This isn't about some parents deciding to have a child. That's pretty much what that means. About a mother and father deciding to have children. It's not based on that. It's not based on your mother and father. It's not based on anybody around you. It is based on the power and the love of Christ. Paul amplifies this a little bit in Galatians when he says, For in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus if you welcome him in his message. If you call on him, believe in his name. Brothers and sisters, let's take time this week in the Word to reflect on our life in Christ, how we have welcomed the message of Christ, how we have been as witnesses of that message. It's a challenge for us right here. You know, we are one of the only churches in this neighborhood. There's a great one down the street, too. <laughs> but we're, we're, we are a part of this neighborhood, and we're, there's not many more. We have a responsibility. We have a calling in Christ to be a part of this community and to share the light of the gospel. And may the Lord stir us, whether we're going through a transition or not. It doesn't matter. We are all, those of us who are in Christ, are able to do this. Let us be a light to this community. Let us be a light of the gospel to this community. And lastly, let us bask in the understanding that we are children of God. We've been called by him and have the privileges and the inheritance and the promise of him. Let's live our lives in thanksgiving for the gospel and what Christ has done in our lives and in this church. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the witnesses that have come forward throughout history to corroborate who you are, to remind us who you are. Lord, I thank you for the witness of the Holy Spirit and pray that that witness would grow in all of our hearts. I pray for those who are struggling with their faith, Lord, that you would break through the darkness of their hearts, that you would break through whatever darkness they're struggling with, and that you would be their source of light and encouragement. Thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.